0: If you would please stand, I'm going to read to you from the Bible. The passage this morning is Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You'll find it on page 9 in, the pew, in your program, or on page 774 in the Pew Bible, in the Pew rack in front of you somewhere. This is Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray now that you'd be pleased to send your gracious Holy Spirit upon us, that you would, Father, pry open our cold and resistant hearts, and that you would give us grace, Father, Not only to hear your word this morning, but to believe it, to obey it, Father, and to rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We've been taking a little side trip away from Acts uh, this month of July. Uh, Today we're looking at Jonah chapter 2, we'll be looking at a chapter every Sunday, Colin will be looking at Jonah chapter 3 next Sunday, we'll finish up with Jonah chapter 4 later this month, and then we'll go right back to Acts. Uh, I'm of the conviction that Jonah in the Old Testament actually has some very, very important light to shine on the book of Acts. They're not disconnected. Uh, For one thing, they have the same divine author. They have different human authors, but they have exactly the same divine author who is teaching us uh, what the will of God is and how he is working in the world and how messed up sinners like you and me can be involved. Uh, So we're thinking about that this this month as we open to an Old Testament antecedent to the book of Acts. very interesting to me how many parallels there are in these different books and how we have much to learn from both. The passage we're looking at this morning, uh, I've sort of characterized as uh, the humbled church. It actually has um, a message to both the humbled believer uh, and the humbled church and it has a great deal to teach us about the humbled Christ. So we'll be thinking about those three categories, but two basic headings, uh, down, 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 and then up, up, up. And actually, if you read through this passage pretty closely, uh, you you can pick up on this idea of down, down, down. Uh, We see this in verses one to the first half of verse six. Uh, It says in verse one, Jonah is here in the the belly of a fish in chapter 1 verse 17 it's called a great fish here he is in this terrible unbelievably frightening environment verse 2 it says he's in the belly of Sheol Uh, Sheol was the Hebrew uh, conception of the place of the dead Uh, verse 3 it says you cast me into the deep Jonah's realizing his situation he's It says he's he's been cast into the heart of the seas. The flood has surrounded him. And all the waves and the billows pass over him. You get this picture of a situation that's being described in more and more intense, more and more, I guess you could say, depressing terms. Um, Verse 4, I am driven away from your sight. Verses 5 and 6, the waters closed over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land who bar who, who, whose bars closed upon me forever. That's a pretty desperate picture. down, 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 literally down, further to the very bottom of the sea. He's in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea. And uh, uh, the picture has just gotten about as far down as a person can go. He's at the point where he actually has to look up to see the bottom. I don't know if you ever maybe felt yourself in anything like that. Very, very uh, rare, unique circumstances being described here. But maybe you've felt like Jonah... A sense of being very low, overwhelmed, depressed, unsure. Where is God? What do I make of this situation that I'm in? Well, Jonah has that with us in common. Uh, he endured an a, a unbelievable uh, time of uh, being, well, stripped of all the things that he clung to, that he took to be his life. I pointed out last Sunday that we actually know about the prophet Jonah from the book of Second Kings. Uh, Jonah had a career. Uh, Jonah was the guy who restored the border of the northern kingdom. Uh, He had persuaded the king with the word of the Lord to restore the border, and so he had the ear of kings. He had this reputation as one who brought a word that restored some sense of national identity. They were standing up and they were contending for their border. Uh, If his culture was at all like ours, that would have meant uh, Jonah would have been a Bit of a hero. Well, Jonah, the prophetic hero or the heroic prophet, has had all of that stripped away. There are no kings around him, uh, no no great authority. There's there's no uh, sense of of his power, no sense of his reputation. He's been stripped of all those things. In fact, if you look at the little cover of the picture on the on the cover of the program, you, you see a naked Jonah. And I think there's a sense in which we're meant to see Jonah stripped and all of his neediness and his brokenness just exposed to the whole world. And it's written down for us in the book of Jonah. So it's a, it's a picture of a man who'd gone down, 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 down. And if you've ever felt anything like that, if you've uh, felt it even a little bit, if you've ever felt depressed, if you've ever felt overwhelmed, uh, then there's a word of encouragement for you here. As an individual, as an individual believer like Jonah, sometimes we have to have all those things stripped away So that we can know exactly how much we need. And we can know exactly how wonderful and faithful God is. It's interesting, as as Jonah describes his downward descent, his becoming more and more and more aware of, of how awful his circumstances are, there are these little pings of hope, just little tiny pings of hope. The first verse, I called out to the Lord. (laughs) <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we've got to have the stuff stripped away for us to remember to call out to the Lord. You know, I, I forget to call out to the Lord when the times are good. I forget to call out to Him when things are going well. Uh, it's very easy to cloak myself in a sense of independence when things are going well. But when things aren't going well. And I'm, I'm aware of my neediness. That's when I remember to call out to the Lord. And that's what happens here to Jonah. That's, a, that's, a, that's the first lesson really. Jonah's first lesson. It's the first prayer on the lips of Jonah. The pagans have been praying in chapter 1. But it's here in chapter 2. Where we finally hear the prophet of God. Call out to the Lord. Let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, to remember prayer. Justin, you're exactly right. Prayer is not sort of an add-on. It's not a you know a, a, a pious uh, option. Prayer is like you quoted from uh, Paul Miller. It is the Christian life. It is This sense of dependence is the Christian life. There are so many schools of thought which tells us the Christian life is, is meant to be victorious living and how awesome everything is and how things are going so well for me. And, and yet we, front, we find here from Jonah that the very opposite is the truth. Whether things are going really, really well, praise God if they are, or whether they're going really, really poorly, the fact is we are always dependent on the Lord. And the the attitude of prayerfulness is just the acknowledgement of that. I I want to be a man of prayer. I want my family to be a people of prayer. I want MetroCrest to be a church of prayer where we call out to the Lord. And that's, that's this first little ping of hope. Um, there's another little ping of hope down in verse 4. I shall again look upon your holy temple. Here in the midst of his despair, there's this, there's this little hope that the God to whom he is praying, the God in whose name he has prophesied to kings, that that God that God is going to work. And so he's got this hope that once again he will look upon the holy temple. It's hard to overstate how the people of Israel viewed the temple. It was the the place where God came to be with his people and where his people came to be with him. It was this this place of meeting. And it was more than a a holy building. It It was a a place of communion with the Lord. And so even here in the midst of his distress, as he's going further and further and further down, there's this this little ping. I shall again look upon your holy temple. It's coupled with this idea of prayer. Waters continue to close around him. And then at the very end of verse 6, it says, Yet... You brought me up from the pit. His, his prayers, his sense of hope that he's clinging to. Well, those are encouragements to us as well. To trust in the Lord, to pray to Him, and to cling to Him. When, when nothing else makes sense, we cling to Him and our hope in Him. Uh, the book of Jonah, is, as you'll see, Not Jonah's finest moment. Um, We'll see a lot more about that. But this may be one of Jonah's finest moments. And it came to him in the midst of his absolute worst moment. When he was at the very bottom. He remembered the Lord. He remembered to pray. That's a great hope, a great encouragement to you and me too. And I want to encourage you to to take those with you today as you go out into the rest of your world, all the things you're dealing with at home, at family, your job, finances, health, whatever it may be, to cling to those pains of hope. Uh, There's also a word here for the humble church. Um, The the community of Israel, the, the covenant people, They're in the background of the book of Jonah. This this is not just a personal story. This is a corporate story. Jonah the prophet, in a very real sense, represents Israel. He represents reluctant Israel, rebellious Israel. Israel that was actually experiencing judgment, that was having its own downward descent. And that was part of the context of Jonah's prophetic ministry. He, He was preaching to God's covenant people the essential Old Testament equivalent of the church he's preaching to them in the midst of their rebelling against the Lord they're refusing to heed the voice of the Lord the commands of the Lord both in their personal lives and in the life of Israel the life of the people so While Jonah is being humbled as an individual, this really happened. This happened to a man. This happened to a person. It was also happening to a group of persons. It was happening to a group of people who knew the voice of the Lord. It was happening to a group of people who had a relationship with the Lord. And so there are these pings of hope in the humbled community. Well, the humbled church This remember to pray, this remember to trust in the hope of the Lord. These are pains not only in his individual life, but in our life as a covenant people. And let me just say this too, I think these are words for us as a church here at MetroCrest. I don't want to overstate what we've been through, we've been through a lot. We haven't been to the bottom of the sea, haven't been exactly in the belly of the beast, but We've had some tough times. We've had some very tough times. There are people in this room who have wept, who have feared, who have struggled with, where is the Lord? What is going on here? What hope do we have? Little pings of God's blessing to pray together. To call out to the Lord, have mercy. To trust that we will see his holy temple. Not, not just the temple in Jerusalem, which uh, is gone now. We heard about that in the Bible study this morning, didn't we? No, it's, it's not a, a building in Jerusalem that we hope to see. No, our hope is in Christ who is the new and the perfected temple. He's he's the the temple to which the temple pointed. The place of communion with God. That's our hope as a a community, as a church. Brothers and sisters, we, we won't see perfection among us. We'll have good days, we'll have bad days, but we'll have days together. And we'll be looking together at the perfect, the ultimate day, when we will see the perfect temple. And that's a ping of hope. That's a ping of light. In the midst of whatever we're going through as individuals and as a church, that is a ping of hope. It was certainly a ping of hope to the people of Israel who listened to the prophet It was a ping of hope when they received this word, and it was recorded in the Hebrew Bible. It's a ping of hope that we can trust in this promise of God that we will look again upon the holy temple. And now in Christ, we've begun to understand what that actually looks like. And it doesn't look like a beautiful building. It's a beautiful person. And now we are part of His family. When we gather at this table in just a moment, when we gather at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be with the hope and the confidence that one day the communion which we share now imperfectly, we will share one day in glory. So it's a ping of hope. It's a ping of promise that you and I cling to. I want to say also about the humbled Christ. You see, everything Jonah does here imperfectly, everything Jonah does here uh, involuntarily, Jesus Christ has done perfectly and in accordance with his own will, submitted to the will of his Father. He did it all by choice. He did it voluntarily. I really can't say enough about James's Bible study and Mark. Uh, if you're free next Sunday, 9 a.m., oh. I highly recommend you come. It's a great class, well taught, lots of discussion. And the center of the Gospel of Mark, and the, the, the last third of the book is about what Jesus Christ has done. And what Jesus Christ does in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what He is doing throughout the New Testament, what all of the Bible is pointing to about Jesus, is that He does voluntarily and perfectly what Jonah doesn't do. What Jonah does inadequately and rebelliously, Jesus does perfectly. He's the perfect Jonah. He's the humbled Savior, the humbled Christ. He he humbles Himself. He empties Himself. He comes in submission to His Father. But He does it for us. He goes through all of this for us. He does go to the very, very bottom. Further than Jonah goes. He goes beyond that bar. And it is closed over his head. He goes to the very bottom of everything. Down, 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 down. Further down than we can imagine. He does go to Sheol. And he takes upon himself all of the sin, all of the judgment that you and I deserve richly. That Jonah deserves richly. Jesus takes upon himself. Now, the book of Jonah doesn't end with verse 6a, because here in this same chapter, we see the the, the, sort of the reversal. It's uh, an up, up, up. Look at 6b. Yet, he says, this is Jonah writing from the belly of the fish. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered you and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. You you can see this this upward swelling, his realization of God's faithfulness, his remembrance of God, his his clinging to the communion that he shares with the God of Israel. And he will will bring with the voice of thanksgiving sacrifice. And then notice the very last thing in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the ESV wisely puts an exclamation point there. <laughs> you see, Jonah had to have everything else stripped away. He had to get down to the barest of the bear. And there at the bottom, he discovers these words, this promise. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Exclamation point. And verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomits Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah's lowest moment becomes his time of realization. His realization that it's not about him. It's not about his plans. It's not about what he wants. It's about the Lord who is working For infinite good around us and through us and among us and not infrequently apart from us or in spite of us. He's working for good because salvation belongs to Him. It it is His. It belongs to Him. There is no salvation apart from Him. There is no hope apart from Him. There's no promise, no life apart from him. Salvation belongs to him. And that's the point at which Jonah is left all alone on a beach. It's, it's a powerful, powerful picture. You know, we sang a very interesting line back in You Will. Your will be done. I, I love that hymn, by the way, Colin. That's, that's a keeper. That's a wonderful hymn. Uh, there, there, there are several beautiful lines, but one that really struck me is uh, the third line in the first stanza My heart is drawn to self exalting. that's what I'm drawn to. I, I'm, whatever the story is, I want to be the main character, I want it to be about me and my success. I'm drawn to self-exalting. There's even a Christian version of that. I want to be self-exalted in my Christian life. Well, that was what Jonah struggled with. Jonah was also drawn to self-exalting. God's plan didn't fit his plan. It wasn't what he wanted. We're going to learn a lot more about that. But Jonah was drawn to self-exalting like we are, like we just sang. So it's, it's interesting how this hymn sort of parallels what Jonah does. The, the last uh, stanza, we sang three times in a row, and every time I felt myself getting more and more teared up. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the way that stands is that that line is introduced. Now, as your church, we lift our voice and pray. We weren't just singing. Did you know we were praying? Father, not my will but yours be done. And that's the point to which Jonah has come. Now it's he doesn't get it right in chapter three or four. But he's come to this point of realization that what really matters is God's will. and God's saving purposes matter. And that's ultimately what should matter to us. So the, the, the humbled church becomes the enlightened church. As, as our preferences and wishes are stripped away from us, we become more and more aware that it's God's purposes that matter. Why? Because his purposes include our blessing and the blessing of the whole world. He has a purpose. There's a great line from Sinclair Ferguson who wrote a commentary on this passage. He says, God intends to bring life out of death. We may well think of this as the principle behind all evangelism. Indeed, we may even call it the Jonah Principle. As, Jonas seems to, as Jesus seems to have done. It is out of Christ's weakness that the sufficiency of his saving power will be born. So fruitful evangelism, fruitful mission, is a result of his death-producing principle. It is when we come to share spiritually and occasions, occasionally physically in Christ's death as in Philippians 3:10, that his power is demonstrated in our weakness, and others are drawn to him. This is exactly, says Ferguson, what was happening to Jonah. As he was being stripped of his self-interest, as he was being stripped of his self-exalting, he was actually becoming an instrument that God could use. That's, that, that's the enlightened church. That's, that's the enlightened believer. That's the enlightened church. We we are those who have sought to empty ourselves like Christ did to do His work, to do His mission. And that's what we hope to do here at MetroCrest. We, We want to be the church that dies to self and lives for Christ. Just one last word in closing about Jesus. Jesus starts out submitted to His Father. He never had a single instant in his entire life where Jesus was not submitted to the will of his Father. He submitted himself voluntarily to the will of his Father in heaven. And now we who are in him, one of the things we'll share at the communion is that we are now about his mission. We, we take his mission now as our mission. We seek to show Christ's love and God's love in obedience to Christ. So mission becomes not a pious option. It becomes our life. It's what Jesus came to do. He came to to die to save others. And now you and I live to save others. to, To live out this proclaimed promise. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's my prayer for for all of us. Uh, My prayer very much for MetroCrest, that we will grow more and more and more and more as the enlightened church, the humble church uh, in, in love with Christ, enlightened by him.